You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Emily Cherkin. Emily, welcome. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you. So, Emily, I always do a little intro. I don't know Emily. Um, I just met her. We were talking a little bit. Uh, we do have some similar, some friends, some contacts. She knows my mom, my stepdad. Emily, uh, it's interesting. Emily kind of came into my um, iPhone life in, in terms of a text. My wife sent me information on Emily about a topic that she is. She is a screen time consultant. And that is an issue that is really hot with my wife and I just because we're battling that uh really hard with our son who's 16 uh and even i'll be honest even sometimes i find myself waking up in the morning reaching for my phone like cup of coffee but it is a really interesting topic so emily is an expert at that i'm going to let her talk about how she got into it what it's like and then i also kind of just really want to focus in on um what emily's done she's taken something that's really she's passionate about and she's turned it into a career and I want to get into that as well. So, Emily, I will let you maybe start it off. Um, you know, I always do this. You're sitting at a uh, Starbucks and having a cup of coffee and someone asks you what you do. How would you respond? Well, thank you. Yes, I start by saying um, I'm a former teacher and I got into the work that I'm doing now in part because of what I witnessed in the classroom, the change. Um, so I started teaching in 2003 and I left the classroom in 2015. And what I saw in that time was a real shift in how technology was used. So in two very distinct ways, like initially it was my students coming into the classroom saying, I saw this thing on Facebook and, oh, there was this party and I was left out of it or somebody's being mean to me online. And I did a lot of the like preaching at them, like, well, you shouldn't post things and you shouldn't write this at the same time. It was so developmentally appropriate. Like that's what seventh graders do in real life. No wonder they're doing this online. And at the same time, I was also being asked as a teacher to move my grading and my teaching planning and my lesson work onto a digital platform. And what I noticed was kids were impacted by what was happening online in their personal and social lives. And it was trickling into the school day. And then because I was being asked to do more as a teacher online, my students stopped coming to talk to me about things that were happening you know, whether it was like, why did I get to be on that quiz? Or what do I need to do to make up this assignment? They would just go online. And then another layer of that would be parents started emailing me. And so what I witnessed was a displacement of some really important skills that I thought kids were needing and not getting. Um, and this is a really long Starbucks conversation because I'm also a parent. <laughs> and I realized as a parent that this quote unquote, screen time challenge is very real, is not going away, is gotten harder, especially post sort of lockdown and pandemic, and that that just sort of added fuel to the fire. Um, so yeah, my passion is really about just helping families understand what's going on and providing really practical, tangible solutions to help them move through it, but recognizing we as adults have our own work to do too. Yeah, definitely. So again, you know, there's two angles. There's, there's let's talk about screen time, the issues, the things we think we know that we don't know. And then let's also talk about what it's like to, you know, you were, you went to New York, I think you were pursuing law and then you decided to get into teaching so you could be preventative, kind of get in early, yeah. deal with helping people instead of reacting to situations. Yes. 
And, and then this kind of came up naturally, which I love. So a lot of my audience probably are thinking, you know, they're younger adults, they're 24, 25, maybe they're high school, they've lived their whole life um, on these little things, right? So they don't know any different. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, it's all they know. Um, yeah. What is it, uh, you know, you know, and a lot of times you, you give, I give my son advice or my daughter and they're like, hey, dad, I know, I know. But what is it like in a, in a way that you could, what don't they know about like, how this could potentially harm them or mm -hmm. is harming them, or maybe just kind of impact their life? I think the biggest difference between the childhood that people who are older than 30 had and the current generation of young adults is, is what you're saying, right? Like to grow up in a world post-internet, right? So I have a memory of a childhood without it, and it was a great childhood. And the biggest difference, I hear this all the time. People are like, well, I watched TV when I was a kid and I turned out fine. Or I played video games when I was a kid in the 80s, right? And the reality is there's one really, really big fundamental difference. Well, more than one. But the one I always think about is this concept of persuasive design, right? The fact that not only are we accessing, accessing these things much more easily, right? It didn't, you know, you just have to wait a week to watch the next episode of your TV show, right? Like that's gone, right? That doesn't exist really in the same way. But it's the fact that the platforms that we use, the apps that we interact with, the games that we play are designed to keep us on them longer because the business model of the technology industry relies on advertising. And, you know, the longer our eyeballs are on the screen or in the app, the more money the company makes. And it's not, that's not a secret. That's the reality. And so there's no incentive to decrease our use of it because that would decrease bottom line for companies. And so, they, you know, technology companies have hired developmental psychologists to make their apps more appealing, especially for children. And, you know, I always take the issue that, look, if you're an adult, theoretically, you make your choices, you make your decision, you live your life. But the brain is not fully developed until we're well into our 30s. And so, to me, that's manipulative and problematic when we have technology tapping into neural networks and increasing dopamine and making us feel good when we're on. It's a reason why, you know, we open an app and refresh our email and there's nothing and we immediately close it and open it again, right? Like we are all susceptible and vulnerable to that. And so it's one thing when it's an adult issue, I take particular issue when it's with children because children's brains are not adult brains. Yeah. So Again, this is kind of a different flavor of podcast that I do. Again, we get we'll get into the career, but I'm so interested in this topic. Is okay. How do I say this? Um, I'm 53. I've got a lot of my friends on social media, the different platforms. I, I, I'm on on them. Um, I'm not on. I don't think I'm on them a lot, but I see the same people. And I guess without <laughs> saying anything negative, it's like it's so interesting to me the need for validation, yes. especially some of the people that I know, like they're, they're it's like an, a bottle of booze. It's, yes. And, and, and initially I'm triggered. I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, we don't want to see what you ate. We don't, but like, there's, there's such a need to be heard. And there's yes. an, now all of a sudden people have an audience and a lot of people yes. maybe don't deserve an audience. Like, yes. the, and they, and I don't mean that bad, but they just yes. like, nobody cares, but like, there's such a need for people to kind of let people know about their life. Mm -hmm. And my question is, is that something that you think would have been around back in the day? Like, is that just a psycho psychological need that we all yeah. want to be loved and we all want to be heard? 
or is there something going on that's different? Like, is this what these people are doing? They're, they're programming ways to like the dopamine and the yeah. hit. I mean, what is going on? Like in a, in a, I know you can get real technical, but for the masses, how yeah, would you yeah. explain this phenomena? Um, it's both of those things. It is true that humans have always wanted and needed connection, right? We're social creatures. We depend on others for survival. That's normal. That's eons of, of existence. The problem is that social media in particular, but there's other forms of it online, um, it just inflames that need, right? Because we get that receptive audience. And so one of the things about the design element that is so pernicious is that when it's called the dopamine feedback loop, right? And we, we've all experienced it. We just may not have the term for it, right? It's like, you know, you spend time engaging and then you wait for the like or the share or the comment, right? And meanwhile, our brain is like primed. We're like the rat pushing the lever, right? Like we want the treat. The treat comes in the form of that social feedback. Right. But what's crazy is that our brains are so amazing, they adapt. And so they adapt to that next level of, of dopamine. And in order to get that same feel-good thing, again, we have to engage for longer. So that's one of the problems. It's not that we need the feedback from our peers. It's now that in order to get the same good feeling from that experience, we have to engage longer in that with that content. And to me, that's the problem. I mean, adults, as you point out, like we are really guilty of being on them probably more than we should, right? Or scrolling longer than we need to. And we're susceptible to it too. And, and I think, again, you know, I worry so much about children who are very vulnerable to social feedback, right? I mean, I taught middle school for 12 years that the name of the game in middle school is what do other people think of me? And how do I come out as cool and, you know, confident when in fact, they're all deeply insecure, right? So that's, yeah. that's worrisome to me. Yeah. And it's interesting. Okay. So I'm thinking about the podcast in terms of like people um, they struggle. A lot of people struggle. Uh, I struggled many of my years just trying to figure out what the heck I want to do in my yeah. life. And a lot of the voices in my head, I don't think really subconsciously my voices. And now with the social media, I think you see like influencers or you see these beautiful people, you yeah. know, and, and you think that's normal. And yeah. I wonder how this screen time issue that we're discussing do you think it impacts how people choose careers? Very much so. I think, I know there's been some research of children over different generations asking like what they want to be when they grow up, right? And they have international surveys of this too. And one of the things American children are increasingly saying are things like, I want to be an influencer or a YouTube star. Well, you know, people might say, well, you know, that's like, you know, 20 years ago, people said, I want to be a basketball, an NBA star, right? Like, right. which... I would argue it's still aspirational, but like you have to actually work really hard to be a basketball. Like you have to work out and you have to like play basketball. And it's not that there aren't skills involved with being an influencer, but I would argue that it's a lot more of that external feedback and a lot less of the intrinsic motivation to go and do something because you're passionate about it. And I'm sure people will disagree with me on that. But, you know, I think, again, the problem for when it comes to children is especially for younger people today, is that there is no comparison. You know, you and I can look back at the analog childhoods we had yeah. and remember a time when social feedback was just limited to the group of people we were hanging out with. It wasn't hundreds of people on a platform giving feedback about my outfit or my friendship or whatever. And 
that is really what is changing children's perception of themselves and of each other. You know, I, I had one parent tell me that her daughter spent hours online trying to find products to fix all of the things that were wrong with her because of how she was getting this feedback online. And it's not that those insecurities didn't exist again 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's that we now have this platform that's both permanent and magnifying those feelings and experiences. And we know, I mean, the Surgeon General said last year that there is a mental health crisis among young people, that it is truly a crisis. And I personally believe it's a direct through line to increased use of social media at very vulnerable ages, you know, in development. So the magic question is, how do you fix it? How do you, how do you, um, I mean, it's like, I can't see us taking out phones, right? Um, What's, what's the recipe in your opinion for success on trying to help, help these young kids, even adults. I mean, I know adults that are on all the time post five times a day. Yeah. And um, anyway, what, what do you think? Like, what, what, yeah. you, you're, you're bringing up an issue, but I also know part of your consulting is like, what's the ROI Absolutely. on this? Absolutely. Well, I, my, my tagline is I want to build a movement of tech intentionality. And so I always say, I'm not anti-tech, I'm tech intentional. I mean, obviously I have a phone, I use a computer, I have social media accounts. However, the way I approach it is just like anything else, it's about balance. And, you know, even though the design elements can make screen use addictive, so, so does alcohol, right? Like, so do other substances that tap into those neural pathways. And it has to do, it's so tricky because I'm very wary of ever blaming parents solely. I always say this isn't a parent's fault, but it is our responsibility. And so The tech companies have made our jobs harder, right? Like as parents, but at the same time, we have a responsibility to be the mentor and the role model for our children. And so one of the solutions is to start by looking at our own use. You know, it's like, if you have kids and you're telling them don't do X, Y, and Z online, but you're doing the same thing, or you're putting your phone in your bedroom at night, but telling them they can't, that's not going to work. And so the approach I take is you know, I always say like, it's rather than this combative head to head conflict, which is so typical around screen time issues. It's like, how do we approach this together as a problem solving unit? And one of my favorite advice tips to give parents and people in general, this is not even just for parents is to live your life out loud. And it's what it sounds like, which is just, I'm narrating what I do as I do it when it comes to screen. So I say, I'm reaching for my phone. I'm opening my Instagram app. I'm scrolling because I'm bored oh my gosh, this person's posting five times a day. That makes me feel like I'm not posting enough. This like literal play-by-play commentary. And I always tell parents, especially if you have teens, you know it's working when they're rolling their eyes at you, right? Because they're listening. And teen rolling eyes is completely developmentally normal. And we have to not take it personally as parents. Hard, but true. (laughs) And so by living our lives out loud as adults, the hope is that we're doing a lot of things. right? We're modeling how we use the tech. We are modeling what skills we get from it. We're showing the intentional use. Like I might be pulling this up to find a map to get to a place and see what the traffic is. That's very different than me saying, I'm just watching TikTok videos, you know? So I always say like these phones are not switchblades, they're Swiss army knives. And our kids don't know that when they're young, what they see is the back of our device, right? So the more we can inform and educate them, and then model that ourselves, the better, right? Like, so that's one tip. I mean, I've got lots, but that's, sure. uh, 
everyone can do that. It's free and you can start it today. <laughs> no, I like it. I, uh, I totally with you on that. Um, especially when you see like families sitting at a dinner table and they're all on their phone and I'm like, wow, what a great conversation <laughs> you guys are having. Yeah. Um, I, but I hear I, the other part of this though, is like, it's almost like a child that has ADHD or something. Like sometimes yeah. you get angry at, at your child for forgetting something. Yeah. And you're like, why can't you just do this? And then at the end of the day, they just might not be able to, they just don't have the ability. Yeah. So with the phones, like I'll get angry at my son who's on it and I've limited his time, but like, I almost feel like it's a drug that he can't yeah. like my words, my actions, all of the above will mean something. But I almost feel like what these technology companies have done is they've given them crack and, yeah. and, and I don't know how to get rid of the drug um, without getting rid of the phone. Um, yeah. And so I guess one of the questions is like, is someday are we gonna see like major, major like lawsuit against these companies for doing what they've done? Cause I feel like they've robbed yes. children of, you know, when I was young, I would go build hydroplanes and drag them behind my bike or I'd go yeah. build a tree fort yep. or I'd go, you know, you name it, I'd go sell yep. lemonade or I would do whatever, I'd go play yep. football. It's like these kids are being robbed of not only social skills of just being able to go out and get creative, but they, they get bored so damn easy yeah. if yeah. they don't have their phone. And I feel like this is a big deal. And yes. I, I kind of want to see, I don't want to say heads roll, but I want to see yeah. someone pay pay for this. And it's not changing. I, I don't think anything's changing. Like, do we have a, I mean, is this like big pharma? We just, yes. there's no way to fight them. No, there is a way. Um, <laughs> I'm with you on this. A big part of the work I do is activism around my focus has historically been on screens in schools because that's a whole nother topic we haven't even talked about. You know, like there's the devices kids are bringing into school, their personal phones, but then schools are increasingly requiring kids to use tech for school, whether that's iPads or one to one laptop programs or online learning management or grading programs. It is awful. And I will say that maybe there are a few exceptions to some of those. Again, I'm not anti-tech, but on average, districts, uh, schools use 125 unique ed tech platforms per school. There is no way that a district can monitor and understand and know what's going on with each of those distinct platforms. And one of the concerns I have, and my activism is around the data privacy piece of this too, because these are third-party companies that are siphoning data about minors and selling it for profit. And at the end of the day, I am not okay with that. <laughs> I, and I think most parents have no clue that this is going on. And even districts don't have always full awareness of what it is. You know, a lot of them are cash strapped or they're budget issues, right? And so they have a tech company approach them and say, oh, I've got a solution for you. You've got oversized classes. Like, Here's this platform that will help you differentiate your instruction. And, you know, it's this big, shiny thing that sounds really great. And, you know, the research is not there to support most of it's better. I mean, I'm my TLDR is later is better, less is more relationships before screens. That's it. Those are the three things that we need to go into this issue with. And so I, I am an activist. I maybe am in, it's a few days away, but there's a lawsuit coming. <laughs> Let me just say that. And there are other lawsuits, like there are some lawsuits, some ironically, some districts have sued social media companies about you know, youth mental health, which yeah. 
I like to see pushback, but the problem to me is districts are also using ed tech platforms. So it's like, I call it digital whack-a-mole, right? Because you like knock one thing and another thing pops up. And I'm an optimist. Um, I believe I wouldn't wake up in the morning and, and fight this fight if I didn't think it mattered. Um, it's definitely a David and Goliath, but then somebody pointed out David won. <laughs> so, you know, I think you said big pharma. I see this also as big tobacco, you know, except kids were not like young children, like eight-year-olds weren't smoking cigarettes. We were talking, you know, teenagers might've been, but like, this is a very pervasive problem. And the problem also is that it changes very rapidly, right? And technology moves so quickly and legislation moves very slowly, right? So that's one of the problems is we've got this big disconnect um, in pacing and that's worrisome. I mean, I, to be quite direct, I believe this is a matter of democracy, um, protecting civil institutions. I believe that there is real threat to civil society um, if we don't address it. Yeah, when you when you use those words, I, I start thinking about AI and I talk about yep. AI because AI, you know, replacing careers, creating yep. careers, but with the advancement of AI, it's going so fast that we yes. don't even know where it's taking us. Right. Uh, I, I, I wonder how that is going to make the problem worse. Yeah, and AI isn't really even new. It's just that we're much more aware of it and it's moving again really fast. And we're seeing, you know, people will say like, well, AI in the classroom is going to ruin, you know, it's kids are going to cheat. Kids were cheating before AI, like even before the internet, kids were cheating. The, the irony to me is that the antidote to this problem of cheating and using tech and AI to do that is go back to paper. You don't have to, like, you know, paper isn't connected to the internet. And, you know, one of my daughter's teachers sent home a, you know, they have a one-to-one program at the school with a laptop. And the the language in the syllabus said, students who misuse district technology will, will be required to perform learning tasks on paper. The punishment for misusing tech is paper, which is mind-boggling to me, right? Because it is absurd in my mind to expect a 12-year-old to make good decisions. I mean, see our previous conversation about middle school and impulse and, right? Like, it is mind-boggling to me that we put the onus of this on children and then we get them in trouble for it, right? So I think less is more. I mean, I am definitely fighting that. I think there are two, you know, schools need to have no phone policies. And I believe up through high school at this point, I have heard too many stories it is not good for anybody. There's no benefit. And I'm sure they're going to be people who come at me with, but what about, what about, what about the exception to this? So, and I have a family member with diabetes, for example, that the phone is a medical device. Well, of course, but just because one kid has a medical device doesn't mean all kids need to bring that device to school, right? Like just because one kid needs glasses doesn't mean every kid should have glasses. And so to me, that's the exception, not the rule. And then we have to get ed tech out of education. And out of maybe not 100%, but maybe 95% out. I don't think it makes it better. And that's not something people are going to agree with me on. No, no. I, I I think one of the battles you have too, and I'm just, I don't mean this bad, but I'm also, I say what I say. I say what I feel. Yeah. I think I think a lot of parents, I, I, life's hard, right? For a lot of people. And not to play the victim card, but people are struggling, mm-hmm. you know, especially right now in this market. Um and I don't say parents are lazy, but phones are like free babysitting. Like I, oh, yeah. I know that 
parents just kind of like when the kids on the phone, they can do their thing or whatever. Yeah. And if they didn't, then they have to be a parent or maybe they have to. And I, I feel like you're going to be battling parents in a way, in a subtle subconscious way. They may not admit it, but like, I don't, I see a lot of parents not wanting to give the phones up because it kind of is easy parenting. A hundred percent. And, and this is to me why this threatens democracy, because if we're not willing to have the uncomfortable, difficult conversations that come with being a parent, that's parenting. Sorry. That's just what it is. No one was like, I'm going to be a parent because I heard it was easy. Right. Yep. Like right. if we're not willing to do that, then kids are never held accountable or adults for that matter. Kids don't understand consequences. Kids don't have to think critically about choices that they're making. So I, I said this the other day in a video, like technology is promoted as being frictionless. Like it's a good thing. It makes everything easier. And it is true that there are some ways in which that's true. But the problem is that it is in the friction that learning happens. It's in the difficult moments where we struggle that we change our opinion or we shift our thinking or we add to our knowledge base. By putting tech in school, by relying on phones and iPads as babysitters all the time, we are robbing children of opportunities to build those skills. Now, again, I am not going to shame and blame parents. But again, like I said, it's not our fault. It is our responsibility. And I know that the, the, this is hard for some families. And I always say it's an 80-20 rule for the most part. Like, okay, yeah, my kids have screens sometimes. Like, I'm not, again, it's not absolutist here. And recent research, and I was really, I felt very validated when I read this study because it's exactly what I've been saying for years, which is there are actually the wrong questions to ask are how much screen time is too much and what parental controls do you use? Those are the wrong questions to ask. The right questions to ask are, do you know what your child is doing online and do you have a good relationship with them? Those are direct predictors of future mental health for children. And to me, that makes perfect sense because Kids are going to be online, even if and I hear this all the time. My kid doesn't have a phone, but they have a smartwatch or their buddy on the bus next to them is showing them YouTube videos or they have some access at school. It is not a question of when children, if children see bad stuff online, it's when they will. And the most important thing is, do you have a relationship with them where they will come and tell you that they can say, hey, dad, I saw this video. It made me really uncomfortable or I don't understand it or I don't know what to do. That is what matters. And so it's not about the total number of hours. It's the piece of it. And every kid's different. That's the problem, too, is it's not a one size fits all. It's like one kid's going to react very differently than another. I so. love that because I, I was going to ask you the questions that I shouldn't ask what you just said. But like at the end of the day, I'm thinking, what is Noah spending time on yeah. you know, when the door's closed? And, in, and, and would he come to me if he saw something that yes. deserved his peace? or triggered yeah. them or confused them. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's, that's really good insight. So we're going to get into the career a yeah. little bit um, beyond the topic. But yeah. my last question, I think on screen time is, what is your guess on if we fast forward 20, mm -hmm. 30 years, and we take this population of kids um, that have grown up on uh, technology, what do you think? What, what are those people going to be like? like, not everybody, but like, what do you think? Mm. our society like what is the fact you know is it for example people don't have very good communication skills 
Uh, they're not used to interacting. They're not used to the friction and yeah. dealing with the friction. And so then mm -hmm. they just put their hands up in the air and like, I don't know what the hell to do. Like, what's your gut on what this means 20, 30 years down the road? Mm, that's a great question. And <laughs> there is a cynical part of me that's like, well, we'll all be microchipped by then anyway. So <laughs> who knows? I do, again, I'm an optimist. So, you know, and to me as a teacher, I think the answer is in education. I think it is in part why the activism I do, I feel is really important because protecting institutions like schools where children are taught things like critical thinking is really, 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 really important to, as an antidote to the potential harms that could come from too much of this. And, you know, again, it's, it's not that I don't think AI might serve a really valuable purpose in medicine or, you know, other other uses. But we want people as young adults growing up to understand that there's, you know, for good and for evil, right? Like that technology in the hands of different people can be weaponized or used for good, right? And so how do kids know that? It's going to be because they've learned how to think critically, ask questions, you know, and and there's a lot of work to do around that. And, and you know, again, I, I say parents, it's not your fault, but it's our responsibility. And it's, so it's got to be at home too. Um, so, you know, that's a great question. What will actually look like? You know, I think about how exponentially things have changed even just in the last five years. It's hard to imagine, you know, even with the pandemic, like how much that changed things even more. And I, I see this, I think the other, the last thing I would add to this is that childhood is lasting longer than it used to. There was a story recently about how today's 18 year olds are much more emotionally mature as an equivalency to like our 14 year old years, you know, that, that kids are getting driver's licenses later. They're leaving home later. They're getting jobs later. They're like all of this delayed independence, which actually makes sense because our lifespans are also expanding, right? So that childhood is kind of increasing into the early twenties, which also makes sense from a brain standpoint, right? Yeah. But we as a society haven't adjusted to that. And I, I do really worry about these kids not having these experiences with difficulty and, you know, struggle when they're young is setting them up for some pretty serious anxiety as adults. So, yeah. Lots yeah of that, I, I think about like um, you have a, a placebo group. You have a country of yeah. kids that never grew up with it. Yeah. And then you have next door, you have a country of what we have now. And then yeah. in 20, 30 years, I wonder what the differences between those two societies would be. I mean, right. who knows, but. Yeah, um, that's a great question. So getting into, okay, so we've yeah. talked a lot about the content, the topic, yeah. and now I want people to be kind of looking at you and, and understanding. Okay, so Emily was a, looked in the world of being a lawyer. She, she was in uh, teaching for a long time. And then she saw an issue with something she was really passionate about and she wanted to fix it, help, yeah. help. So I guess the question is, I want to get into what it's like to construct. Uh, I have a passion. Um, you know, I was thinking of some, another example, and then I want to turn it into a business. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that process and, and keep in mind, like whether it's screen time or whether it's, you know, salsa, making salsa or, yeah. uh, or whatever, whatever idea right. somebody you... has, or, or maybe somebody yeah. wants to take on big pharma or they want to yeah. create a, a, a vaccine or a shot that tests children to see if they can even handle these shots, yeah. whatever, whatever the passion is, talk to us about that process yeah. and, and think about the person listening that is yeah. interested and they have a, they have a passion like you and they want to turn it into a career. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And one of the, I think I would start by saying it's the obviously identifying the passion. What do you care about? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? And then what's the problem that needs solving? And, you know, coming from a teaching background versus a business background, I definitely entered the world of like business terminology. And I was like, what is all these like ROI and KPI, like all these acronyms I had never heard of. And it was a steep learning curve. But I will say that like, I mean, teaching is marketing. Parenting is marketing. <laughs> like business marketing is marketing, right? Like it's how you tell the story and share what you care about with people. And for me, a lot of that comes from writing. You know, I, I work, my book is almost out and I just do a lot of blog writing. And so that has been a way for me to communicate. Um, but I couldn't build a business by myself. Like I immediately knew I needed external help. And, you know, my husband has a degree in business and full disclosure works in the tech industry, by the way, like I'm married to the problem. <laughs> and he was helpful in getting that started. And I, I've hired different consultants and I have, you know, now I have a team of people that help me, but it, part of it was realizing where my strengths were, like, what do, what can I do well? And what can I outsource to people who can do it better so that I can focus on what I'm good at? So a lot of what I try to get young adults or people to do is really try to center in on the easy, obvious, the why, like what, mm -hmm. what lights you up, what makes you a better version of yourself? Um, what do you gravitate towards on a weekend, right? Like, right. What, I, I love farming. I love planting trees. I love, you know, my wife and I have animal. I love being on my property. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it feels good. Your why, what's the why here? Is the why... And, and, and I ask that too, because I also want young, young people or whoever, if you're in your 40s or 50s and you're thinking about something different, like, how do you, do you have any advice on, on our, our, our really defining and getting rid of those other voices? Like, and that's, again, what we're talking about is the validation of social media. And like, people think they want to be an attorney or a doctor, or they need to be an influencer, or they want to be a realtor because they saw, you know, this reality TV show. And it's just not real. And so yeah. how do you get through all that crap and, and really define the why? And like, mm -hmm. maybe you can talk about how you did it. For me, I firmly believe I am fighting for kids' future mental, emotional, physical, and cognitive health. That's my why. And part of that comes from my passion as a teacher and also as a parent. Like, you know, you kind of would do anything for your kids. And I, I want to do that for all kids. Um, so that's my why. Um, I think initially I thought that I would get that by being a teacher and I loved teaching and that was an incredibly important experience that comes up all the time in my work. But what I realized was when I was talking at my aha moment was talking to my students about all this, you know, at the time it was Facebook and I was like, you know, you really shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And they were like, but Emily, our parents are doing this. Our parents are texting and driving. Our parents are playing. <coughs> Excuse me. Candy Crush or scrolling through social media. So it's not just us. And that was when I was like, oh, the problem isn't, I said, my aha moment was this isn't a kid problem. This is an adult problem impacting children. And so in order to fix the problem, I need to help parents. That was kind of the way I shifted from being child focused to parent focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry yeah. about my cough, by the way. No worries. <laughs> I just started getting it. So I apologize. Um, no problem. I don't want to mess your flow up. Keep So that's really interesting because I think there's so much focus on these kids, but 
Yeah. It's, it's the parenting or the support system around them. Adults. It's the adults. And I include parents and teachers in that, but I include technology company executives and I include school district administrators, right? Like it's all of us. Like we, I don't think we treat children particularly well. And, you know, you, you can look at different countries and how their children are treated and, and treated, you know, like, I mean that in a lot of different ways, you know, yeah. but I, I, I think kids kind of get it, even your example of AI, you know, I, I, there is emerging discussion and legislation and conversation about like needing to set like legal limits to protect society. And I think that's great. But why hasn't that happened with children in social media yet? Why is it taking so long to put limits on that for kids when it is truly harmful? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because because kids don't. Yes, because of money, because of the business model. Right. And, you know, yeah, I think one thing I would add, I don't know how this fits in, but it's just popped in my brain is like the other thing about being a business owner. I, I think in my family growing up, we have a lot of teachers and a lot of like do-gooders, right? Like we're going to change the world. And that's great. That's where my passion comes from. But I also remember growing up that if I, I think if I had said I wanted to go into business, I might've been like looked down on that. That was like a dirty word in my childhood, like being a bit, because it meant you were greedy and you were doing it for money. And that has been a voice in my head that I've had to overcome. And I think being a teacher, being a woman, has been another challenge in overcoming like how I price my offers, for example. Um, even with the expertise I have, I still struggle with imposter syndrome. I still struggle with <clears throat> who's going to pay for this. I don't know enough. I wish I had a PhD. I mean, all of this is like never enough. And one thing that I would say to aspiring business owners is to be in alignment with your values. And, and what I mean by that is one thing that has become very clear to me in my work that separates me from others who do similar things to me is that I absolutely refuse to take any money from any technology company, app developer, platform. There are all kinds of affiliates things out there, you know, and this is what you see, of course, through influencers all the time, right? That's how those companies make money is by having influencers. I absolutely refuse to do that because it is out of alignment with my values. And I don't ever want someone to say she's doing this for the money, right? Yeah. And, and I struggle with that too, because I also think it's okay for me to want to make a living on something I'm passionate about, you know? And so it's a bit of a struggle there for me, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't answer a question, but that was no, a thought. I, I love what I love you said. I mean, like I told you before, like this, we can talk about whatever. Yeah. I, th I think the, um, the attachment to money mm -hmm. uh, or the association, oh gosh, I'm maybe a Republican. <laughs> I'm greedy or whatever, or the stereotype or whatever. Uh, I, I see that a lot as, um, roadblocks or stumbling, you know, for, for people, um, you know, maybe that's self-sabotage or the imposter syndrome or whatever. And I think it's really, I mean, that's just an example of, I think, uh, and I don't know where I'm going on this, but you just being aware of it yeah. and seeing like a pattern of how you, your beliefs and your thoughts and maybe how they influence how you do things. But I, I think it's really good that you're aware of that, yeah. that, yeah. and, and not that I'm here to give advice, but I mean, we all deserve to make money. Um, and go to Hawaii and, you know, feel, you know, safe from Bill. I mean, whatever it is. Yeah. So I, I hope that you can work mm -hmm. on that and, and get through that. Because oh, I am. Yes. 
because this is much needed. I mean, this is, I think this not to get um, too deep, but I mean, you're saving lives. Um, Thank you. you know, I mean, you really are. I mean, the kids who committed suicide based on the whatever, it's like, I mean, not to make this a sad podcast, but yeah. this is really uh, effed up in, in terms of what this is doing to yeah. our, our kids. And our job is to protect them, but also let them fly and get experience friction and, yes. and, and all that good stuff. So I'm not yes. trying to like uh, protect them too much, but yes. uh, this is a serious subject um, yes. that is life-changing. So as far as, um, it's interesting. You talked about being a teacher and then getting into the business world and all these damn acronyms. I mean, there's so many of them. I was in technology and I'm like, oh my God. I think the worst, the worst act, I worked at AT&T and it was a sales job and we sold the businesses and they kept asking us what our nibber was. Nibber. And I hate that word. I've always hate it's net income build revenue. And it was oh like, God. and I'm like, I have a friend, Heidi, she was on my, and we all joke, like, how's your nibber this month? And I just, too many acronyms, but I guess, you know, you telling yourself maybe, hey, I'm not business. I don't know if these are words that are in your head, but I think these are thoughts that a lot of my audience might have is I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I can't be successful in business. Like the friction that you went through and maybe are going through, do you have any advice for somebody that, um, you know, their parents are attorneys and she, they want to be uh, an artist? Or yeah. they want to uh, yeah. take care of horses or they want to um, whatever. Yeah. Like, what, how do you, what's your advice to somebody that in their heart, they have a direction they want to go, but the voices around them, their support staff or network are pushing them that yeah. way. Well, number one, I'm a big fan of a good therapist. <laughs> so I feel like everyone benefits when we have someone to process it with who's a neutral party. Right. Um, the other thing is like, what I have found, and and to be very clear, I am five years into business and I am still relying on the fact that my husband has a full-time income that we can live off of. Like, I don't want to set, set this as like, I mean, I consider what I've done to be successful to this point, but I'm not financially independent. And that's okay. I don't take shame in that. And I recognize the privilege I have that I have a partner who can support me. Yeah. But I also don't feel like this is work. I could easily spend 30 or 40 hours or 50 hours a week talking, writing, thinking, networking with people on this topic. And because it isn't a passion and in alignment with what I care about, it doesn't, it's easy. And I think that would be the advice is like, no matter what your family of origins messaging was, if something is in, if it's not in alignment with what kind of a life you want to lead, then that's the not the path to take. And sometimes it means going down that path first to realize it. And that's not, a, I never think of, it's like your exes, you know, it's like, I never think of my ex-boyfriends as wasted time. Like each one taught me what I didn't want or what I learned about that relationship. I do. I think of them as, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I get what you're saying. I, you know, what you're, it's so, it's so cool what you're saying. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, but what you're talking about right now is, uh, genius zone and that's yes. this whole yes. guy guy hendrix wrote a book called the big i League. have it yeah. yes yeah and that's i'm it's not my idea i mean i'm a big guy hendrix fan or gay hendrix excuse me um yeah. i always mess up names my wife gives me a hard time on that 
Um, my dad used to say Washington instead of Washington. So maybe it's genetic. So yep. I'll, I'll play the victim and no judge as well. Um, yeah. But that's what you're talking about. It's like when you're running a race that you want to win and winning doesn't mean like just if you're running a race that you really love, I just think that's the definition of authentic success. Yeah. And the money is a byproduct. And, and I have full confidence in time, you know, that might come for you or to yeah. you. But yeah. um, that's what I'm trying to get people to pay attention yes. to. So educate, but pay attention to look at Emily. Like she's in her flow. She could speak hours. And, and like I could do that with podcasts just because I really I'm curious. I love yeah. people that are in their flow. It's it's fun for me to feed off that energy and hear it. I yeah. think that's what the audience needs to pay attention to is you can run a race, and make money that you, you know, and maybe in a job you hate, or you can maybe take a couple steps back and take inventory of what lights you up what you're passionate about yeah. and then maybe try to build a career around that. Yeah. And I think another thing that I really struggled with in the beginning of the business was like this, the hustle. I think that's the part of the business world that I was really resistant to being in. And at first I felt like I'm supposed to do that, but it was very out of alignment with how I operate as a person. And it took me doing it and feeling really icky to say, Actually, that's not the way I have to do it. And I've never been somebody who does it the way everybody else does it. I am very much going to do it my own way. And that's okay. And what that meant was accepting that I was going to grow slow. Yeah. I am much slower growing than my first business coach would have wanted me to be. I think he thought I could be at you know, whatever numbers in a year if I just hustled. I don't cold call. I don't cold outreach because it was so uncomfortable for me. I benefit from relationships. And what's yep. been fascinating is that the early investment I've made in relationships with people, whether that was through my activism or my teaching days or my parent communities, is now I see that I'm reaping the benefits of that investment in terms of how those people are coming back to me and supporting me in new ways. Mm. So I had to take the long view. And I think that's one thing about business and I think that was the gift of being a teacher and being able to kind of take the longer view, maybe. I, you know, I think there is that hustle culture in business and it doesn't have to be that way. And again, fully recognize I couldn't do this without the support of a partner, but right. it wouldn't feel right if that's how I had built this, you know, that I take a lot of pride in the integrity of my business. And that is the authentic relationships I build with people. And that's through conversation. I mean, it's legwork for sure. But even just now, as I'm like sending copies of my book to people, I'm like digging into that email inbox and I'm like, gosh, I, you know, I had this great conversation with someone five years ago and I'm going to send them a copy of my book because you never know, right? Like that to me, I can see that long-term trajectory is paying off and paying off, you know, in terms of feeling really my business foundation is, um, I don't know. And not even monetarily, I mean, in terms of it's, integrity. I think that's an important word to me. Yeah. I, I love that because I had a, another guest and what we always do is a thumbnail of the person and then a sentence below kind of a piece of advice or something that stuck out. And what you're saying is like, and I I'm trying to talk less. I'm not trying to talk about me, but like in my job, I'm in real estate lending and all the things that I did, my coaches, my friends, my neighbors, the relationships that I built from, and I'm 53, but you know, going back to when I was 10, it translates to potential clients, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And so I guess what I'm saying is what, what I hear you saying is don't be, don't take for granted what you're doing now and what yeah. you have done Yeah. in terms of how it, you might be able to leverage that yes. in the future in terms of a career. Exactly. Like they're, build, they're building blocks. Exactly. And I love that. Um, as we wind down, Emily, is there, um, is there anything that's caught you off guard? I think 2018, 19 is when you started this, yeah. but in your, but in your heart and your head, you probably started it a long, long time yeah. ago. Uh, just, you know, on paper, it might, the business license might say something. So is there anything that surprised you about um, starting a business, being a consultant around a topic that you're um, really into that, you might want to like if you had a child that's 25 and they say, hey, I want to save the seals or I want to whatever I want to. Is there some kind of advice you might give based on something that's caught you off guard that you might mm. wish you knew more about? Before you got into it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to sound very cliche, but like I said, I don't regret anything that I've done because it all was a teachable moment, you know, like, yeah, in those unpleasant, not so great experiences, I got something from it. And tangentially, I think I would add, you know, I'm a big fan of conversations with other people and both because I like it, but because it's an analog, <laughs> you know, the, the in real life conversations. And so, um, any opportunity you have, like you do with podcasting to talk to other people about what they do is really a valuable way to learn about what might work for you and what might not. And, and to, you know, think about like the people you admire and what kind of a, and I don't mean like as a hero worship, but like, for example, Brene Brown, who I'm sure many of your listeners know of, um, I used to say, I want to be the Brene Brown of screen time. And then someone said, well, why don't you be the Emily Turkin of screen time? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I love what she built. I love how she has a small business company that, you know, it's not like this massive, I'm not going to be a big corporation. I know that that's not who I am, but doesn't mean I can't be successful, right? It doesn't mean I can't work towards a, a sustainable life that, you know, it's the investment in something I care about and then I can support my family on, right? Like those are, those are important things. So. Yeah. I love it. Um, you remind me, I got to know, I've gotten to know some pretty cool people through a good friend of mine. I'm in this coaching group and we have these meetings where we'll bring somebody in. And years ago, I got to spend a week with Joe Dispenza um, who's a big meditation guy. And then he came to one of our events and I've always like wanted to be the Joe Dispenza of something, you know, cause oh, there I, you go. just cause I love him, but then you're right. Maybe I just need to be the Dirk Novelle of something, but you know, Robert Breedlove is another guy that I got to know who's big on talking about Bitcoin. Um, hmm. and he's, you know, he's very, very interesting guy, very smart, but I love you're kind of that person for screen time. And I think that, um, Brene is great, but I think you're right. I think you need to change the words and the the yeah. phrase to end. But I, it's been really great hearing, listening to you. I know that I know so little and there's so much more. If if you have parents that are watching this, maybe they're not interested in starting a business like you, but they're really interested in screen time. What's the best way for them to kind of like take the next step? Yeah, thank you. Well, I know the irony is that I have a digital presence. <laughs> So my website yes. is thescreentimeconsultant.com okay. um, and 
hope, my hope is that there is information accessible to everyone at all price points. Because again, I believe, like you said, this is a topic that everyone needs to hear about and benefit from. Um, my book is coming out January 9th. Um, what, so that what's it called? It's called Becoming, I'm sorry, The Screen Time Solution, A Judgment-Free Guide to Becoming a Tech Intentional Family. Wait, and is that, that's not out yet? It's not out yet. You got an advanced copy. Okay, so I'm like, I got that. I'm like, well, how, how the heck did that happen? Yeah, no, you got an early, it's January 9th release date. So okay. I've been sending out early copies, um, you know, hoping, again, to get connected to people I can talk yeah. about it with. Um and yeah, the, the hope is that it's kind of the judgment-free guide parents need to sort of navigating screen time. And I wrote it knowing that screen time is going to change. So I tried to keep it more specific to the parenting approach and things that we can do even as technology changes, right? Because you don't want to write a book that's out of date in a year, right? So that was very much top of mind when I was writing it. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and then so obviously they can read your content. They can probably hire you for consulting, even one-on-one. You probably have workshops where you speak at. Yep. Um, Presentations for schools or PTA education nights. I love doing those. That's another great opportunity. Yeah. Um, I am on social media. (laughs) Are there any tests? Like, you know, I I love the Enneagram. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a personality. Oh, yeah. So do you know what type you are? I'm a one. Okay. Is that Challenger? No, that's eight. That's eight. What's, I, uh, one is, uh, what is, I'm four. Um, I feel like it's, let me think, I'll look it up really quick. And your grandma, reformer. Reformer. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. That is um, so spot yeah. on. That yeah. that personality, it's like, you know, there's the disc, Myers-Briggs, but the Enneagram, I went to a weekend seminar on that and got really deep on it. And it is, it is really accurate. Um, yeah. Do you know even, about human design? I think I do, but probably I don't. Well, I, again, I found her on the interweb, um, but there's this woman and it's similar. It's sort of like Enneagram and, you know, like straw. It's like kind of a mishmash of a bunch of stuff. But to me, that human design, I actually like ordered a blueprint of like, it's based on your birth year, date, time, location, like star chart, all of that. It is so spot on. It is eerie. And it's, she does this wonderful job of presenting, like, here's how this shows up for you in your professional life. And your so I have my, my like little thing written on my wall here. And I look at it often as a, you know, it says you're designed to be a leader, a visionary and a guide. And I look at that and I go, okay, that's what I'm doing. That's who I am. So oh, I'd love to, is that a test you take or? A- um, yeah. So the woman I use is Erin Claire Jones. I'll try to send you her, um, Cool. Her website is just erinclairejones.com. I know there are other people who do it. I just love her format. I think, she, and I don't, I don't, I don't take any affiliate kickback for saying that. I no, it's, it's cool. Hey, and if you did, that's, if you believe in it and you took a kick, I mean, wh- what's wrong with that? I, I mean, agree. if you truly believe in it, the re- I think where I was going on that, is there yeah. any, have you ever thought about any kind of test oh, or right. any for you, yeah. for like a parent to say, do I have a problem or does, I mean, am I okay? Or, or I'm in the danger zone. Like, is there anything that you have like that? That's a great question. Uh, you know, no, I don't, is a short answer. I know there are some other, I, I know there's like addiction tests where you can say like, are you addicted to your phone kind of tests? Um, what you're asking is actually more nuanced, right? Like as a parent or for my child. And I wonder See, this is me in my my brain. I'm like, I would have to do some research about how. Yeah, to no ask problem. If I did, I don't. It. I don't mean to yeah. put you on the spot, but like, I think the question that you asked was 
brilliant. And it's making me think, do I know what Noah is actually spending time watching yeah. versus, you know, worried about the screen limits? It's like, what the heck is he? I mean, he might be yeah. spending time on reading the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know he's yeah. not, but uh, so, but that's a big one. Okay. Well, so I, I've asked you along the way multiple times, but if there is one piece of advice, like, mm -hmm. and let's just say it's, let's just say it's to the parents and maybe it's to someone in college that thinks they have all the answers and they grew up and they don't know any better. What is your, passive I, I you use a word i forgot what it was but you don't want to cram it in their face you don't want to make them feel like shame them right because right. it is what right. it is it's what they know but what is your advice in a loving subtle way to maybe um maybe make sure that this doesn't become a problem the screen time piece yeah, yeah. in terms of what it will do to you know even that intimacy in a relationship yeah. with, with husbands or wives you know, looking at yeah. whatever. I mean, there's a million different ways it can yeah. mess up life. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have to be just, you know, games and candy crush. Sure. What is what is your advice to people just to be like, you know, it's even like if you're saying it for yeah. people who are drinking, be aware of, you know, yeah. how, how yeah. many drinks you're having a night or are you drinking alone? Like, what's your advice on the screen time? I, I have the perfect answer and I'm going to give you a short story to, to illustrate it. Um, the phrase I'm going to use is replace judgment with curiosity. Okay. And the reason I say that is because when I took a mindfulness class with my husband, this was before we had children and had time to take mindfulness classes. <laughs> I laugh now because like, what? No, like <laughs> once a week, what? we didn't have time with kids. But this teacher said that and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a great line. I think I felt judged a lot during my life and I've been judgmental of others and that doesn't move you anywhere when you just judge others or yourself. And so I went and I had it engraved on a keychain for my husband. And I picked it up at the engraver and I brought it home and my cousin was over and I was like, look, look, I made this. And she was like, Emily, you spelled judgment and create and curiosity wrong. I was a literal seventh grade English teacher at the time. And I was so embarrassed. Now, P.S., those words are rather weird to spell. And I, it was totally my fault. I filled the form out and the engraver did what I asked. But it was such an aha moment of like, I can laugh about this because I can be curious about why are these words hard to spell than like, you're so dumb. How could you do this? You're an English teacher. You know, you shouldn't make mistakes like that. So yeah. that's what I would say about, I mean, kind of anything in life, but especially your own screen use, like start with you, stop the judgment, get curious. Why is it that when I roll over in the morning, I'm picking up my phone? Why is it that when I'm bored at the grocery store and I'm waiting in line, I scroll? Why do I feel the need to post pictures five times a day? And what would happen if I didn't? Like, to just explore the question without necessarily committing to the action yet, you know? And I think to me, again, that goes back to the critical thinking piece, right? Like we, we just sort of go to these like quick fixes and I just don't believe in that. I mean, it's actually why with my one-on-one -on -one coaching, I won't work for one session. It's eight sessions minimum. And that's because it is not a quick fix. This is a long-term behavioral change parenting approach. And so some parents don't want to hear that. They want the quick fix. They just want me to tell them what app they could download and they'll be good. It's not going to, it's not going to work that way. And that's not in how I, that's not in alignment with what I do. So that's okay. There's somebody else out there for you and I'm not the right person, but starting with the curiosity of ourselves and, you know, man, I just feel like we need more of that in this world in general. <laughs>
not just yeah problems. that's yeah. i was joking about med joe, joe dispenza meditation but <clears throat> a lot of what i've gotten good at is getting curious and aware of my thoughts and, yeah. and as like clouds in the sky not to get too deep but like you know a lot of times we think we are what we believe and a lot of times they're not who we are they're just a thought that's you know coming yes. in and it's leaving you and yeah. and you get curious about okay you know why did that come up and so yeah. i think that's really good advice i one more question i'll ask advice an advice yeah. or a piece that i think is really interesting is is what would you say to <clears throat> the person and I have a lot of these people as friends on social media that just need constant, constant, constant validation. Like, and, and there's something that's missing inside them. Like they need to feel like they're seen or they're heard. Like, you know, the person who posts, you know, they broke up their boyfriend and then they want to say something negative about mm -hmm. men mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. just whatever. They just can't stop. Like, yeah, yes. It's, to me, it's like a disease. And, and I think deep down they know who they are. But like mm -hmm. in a loving way, instead of shaming them and just saying, what would you say to those people that mm -hmm. maybe are watching this and they know that they're part of that category of mm -hmm. they just can't stay off? Like, yeah. is there any advice you would give? And, and these could be adults, you know, right, and a course. lot of times there are. They are. Yeah. Well, first thing I would say is that the algorithm encourages that. And so there's a reason we keep seeing it is because it it gets clicks, it gets attention, you know, any attention on social media is good attention, even if it's negative, right? And to also then, I mean, again, I'm gonna go back to an analog reaction. Like you can see it online and you can reach out in person, right? Like I think, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I have many people in my feeds that I see these same things from and, and I can step back and sort of take that big picture. So then the question might be is like, is there a way I can just reach out to that person offline and say like, hey, you wanna go get a coffee? Or like, how are you doing? Like without having to like go into the whole, like, I see you're posting drama, right? You know, and I think it goes back to relationships. I mean, I, I my TLDR, later is better, less is more relationships first. And so go back to the relationship to be curious, like, how are you really doing? You know, I think the the performative nature of social media is that we do put up this, like, here's my, my great life, or here's my terrible life. And I need you to make me feel better about it, right? And yeah. And again, that's just a different form of that dopamine, right? We're getting the feedback, we're getting the attention that makes us feel better, but not really feel better. You know, it's just, I think that's, I think that's a hard thing. And so kind of getting curious again, and this is true, whether it's friends or kids in our lives, like asking those open-ended questions. So even to your son, you know, like, what are you doing online? It might just be like, tell me about the YouTube videos we're watching. Who do you like? Why do you admire that person? What is it that they're saying that appeals to you? Do you agree with everything? Because, I mean, here's the marketing part, right? You're just pitching um, critical thinking. <laughs> you know, you're teaching and modeling those skills that kids need to practice. And so, and it's without the judgment. I think that's, again, the judgment without, or the curiosity without the judgment is just really needed in this world right now of everyone and everything, you know, to say like, I, I you know, and again, to get a little bit more into the weeds, like, you know, I actually do follow people on social media that I don't agree with. And I, I get mad sometimes, and I want to respond. And I also know that comment threads on the internet are not places to meaningful engage, meaningfully engage. But I think it's important for me to know what other people are thinking and saying, because if I surround myself by an, with an echo chamber that only 
Mm-hmm. For whatever end of the whatever end of the spectrum you're on, that does not make me a better critical thinker or a more empathic person. And so yeah. that's a big one. That's probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> no, I, I you know, I think about I think what social media has done is it's 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 uh, made it it's made us I don't know how do I say this, what's the word I'm looking for? It shows how lonely yeah. so many people are and yeah. and and without it, they'd still be alone. Yeah. They just wouldn't have the audience. And now right. they can sit and have a couple cocktails and start, you know, talking to the world. And it's sad because so many of these people just, they don't have a network or a friend, friends or whatever. In real life. And, yeah. In real life. And so it, I think that's a lot of what I see. And yes, I agree. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because I get so surprised at the consistency of, just the posting and it's like these people are are adults and i'm like enough already but uh i want to be loving about it and the nice about it but like sometimes i want to pick up the phone and say something but um and then i look at my own posts and i'm like i think you know for me like you have a cool family moment and you want to celebrate it because you love your kids or your your son just had a great football game or something but it's a very uh interesting topic that permeates like everyone yeah. me yeah. my mom you know yeah. all of the above so anyways i'm rambling emily uh this was really awesome i um i hope that i know i think people learn a lot about screen time but i think hopefully people also learn about the reality of taking a passion and creating a business and yeah. i love what you said about friction because i yeah. fr- think friction is probably where the real work happens and the yes. and the growth and so good stuff Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Emily. Appreciate your time.